0: got back into the psalms and psalm 73 a psalm of asaph and you'll notice in your bible that psalm 73 through 83 are all psalms of asaph uh, and they they kind of have a, a similar tone to them in some way about the wickedness of of evil people and god's judgment that's that's what we see uh, we see that theme a lot here in, in psalm 73 or excuse me uh 74 Psalm 74. And Psalm 73, that, that really was a beautiful psalm that we looked at, uh, I guess, last week's when we looked at that. And uh, and Asaph, was, he recognized all the evil that was going on around him, and it seemed like, man, life's not fair. It seems like so many times bad things happen to good people and evil people seem to get away with all kind of stuff. And, and there was this temptation Asaph is writing about God, I was ready to give up on you. Now, I'm paraphrasing here, but by the end of that psalm, Asaph came to his senses. He realized, no, God, I'm not going to give up on you. Even though I question these things, I don't understand these things, God, I'm going to stand firm by you. And uh, that's what we saw in Psalm 73. So tonight, we'll look at Psalm 74. We'll pray, and we'll get started. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for your good word. And I pray, God, that that if we read it, that you would speak to us through it, that maybe there are some things that we see in your word tonight, God, that are on our hearts and on our minds. God, your Holy Spirit can take your word and apply it to us just as we need to hear it. So I pray that we would listen to you tonight and uh, hear your word and that you would work in our life through it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Now, some of your these psalms you'll see, and depending on your translation, it may... It may be different, but uh, probably most translations will have a superscription or some type of title. Uh, and and if you have that in your Bible, this one would say, a mascal of Asaph. Now, these superscriptions were actually part of the original text. Now, we see that term, a mascal, a few different occasions throughout the Psalms. It's not really known exactly what that means. It it's probably has something to do with the fact that these 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 would have been Uh, accompanied by music, may have been saying in some way. It may be a musical term, some type of musical instruction or something when people saw that, they would know what to associate with this. Uh, Scholars are kind of up in the air as to what that term uh, means. When we see Asaph, which is the name we see in uh, in, uh, I guess all these superscriptions from 73 to 83, Asaph was somebody who was a musician uh, in King David's court at the time that King David served. However, it's hard to know exactly when the events of Psalm 74 were written. These events seem to coincide pretty good with with events that would have come quite a bit down the road. Now, long after David's time of being king, the Babylonians came in and overtook Jerusalem. Now, many scholars would say that's the event that's being talked about. However, if the Asaph of David is the one writing these events then he had to have been speaking prophetically if, in fact, that's what events are being talked about, the destruction of the temple in Babylon that came many years later. Uh, However, it's possible that uh, when it says this is a masculine of Asaph, perhaps it's a descendant of Asaph. Perhaps it's somebody else named Asaph that was written in a later date, and because of the name, it was Stuck here. Perhaps this was during the time of David and there was some event, which is unknown to us, but Asaph was talking about that event. So it's really hard to know. Some of these events that are talked about, it's hard to know exactly what occasion these things are being written for. But it really doesn't matter because uh, what is being written here, we could probably all relate to parts of it in some way. As we talked about Sunday in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So there have been times in history where things essentially repeat themselves. And so these words are are probably fitting for many generations uh, of the past and many generations in the future should the earth be around for long enough. All right, verse 1. Why have you rejected us forever, God? Why does your anger burn against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you purchased long ago and redeem as the tribe for your own possession remember mount zion where you dwell now there's a lot of symbolic language we see here now what this is symbolizing is God is the God of his people Israel. It is Israel who are the sheep of the pasture. It is Israel who are the congregation. It is Israel who is the tribe who has been redeemed by God uh, all that time ago. And, and Asaph here says, remember Mount Zion where you dwell. Now, uh, in a physical, literal sense here on earth, Mount Zion uh, is Jerusalem and, and the area uh, a particular area right around Jerusalem there. Uh, but sometimes that phrase is also used in a heavenly sense, that uh, Zion, not just a place on earth, but Zion is the place where God dwells in heaven. So perhaps this term here carries both meanings. Maybe uh, he's simply speaking of uh, Jerusalem here, which would fit in the context, or maybe he has a bigger picture in mind where he says Zion, where God dwells. But the problem is is that Asaph says, God, you have rejected us. That is, at whatever time period this was, God's people were in a very difficult time. The enemies of God's people seemed to be winning. Things were not going well for them. And Asaph here says, God, why have you rejected us? Have you rejected us forever? God, will you ever hear us again? Don't forget about us, God. Remember who we are. Remember, God, that we are your people. Remember that we are your tribe. Remember that you redeemed us, that we are yours. Don't forget about us. Now, perhaps that's our prayer sometimes because maybe there are occasions in our life where things are not going well, where life is really tough. And it may be, it may be circumstances that are beyond our control. That is, bad things happen to us. It may not be that it's punishment or, or consequences for something that we've done. Sometimes, Bad things just happen. That's life. And and sometimes even in those times, we think, man, God, are you with me? Why, Why are you allowing these things to happen? Now, other times, perhaps the things that we go through are a result of our own decisions, our own choices. Many times we see for God's people Israel in the Old Testament that the problem that they have is that they turn from God. They begin to seek false gods. They begin to live for themselves and and live like the other nations and tribes around them. And it gets them into trouble. When they're with God, God protects them. But when they leave God, they lose God's protection. Now, God is so gracious that even though they do all this evil and they turn their back on God, man, many times they are faithful. The faithful remnant calls out to God and God has mercy on them and God delivers them. But... A lot of times, God allows them to be overtaken by their enemies because of, because of their sin, because of their disobedience. And here's an occasion where Asaph says, Look, God, I feel like we are forgotten. Your people, we feel like we have been forgotten. God, where are you? And perhaps that's a question that we ask sometimes in our times of trouble. Verse 3 Make your way to the everlasting ruins to all that the enemy has destroyed in the sanctuary. Your adversaries roared in the meeting place where you met with us. They set up their emblems as signs. Now, this type of language that we see here, it does sound a lot like what takes place later down the road when when the temple is destroyed and 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 things are left to ruin and and uh People are not worshiping God and we see this language here that the place where they would meet God in the sanctuary, it seems that these places are in ruins and these emblems of these false gods or these other signs have been placed there, a place where God used to dwell and God's people used to dwell with God have now been overtaken by the enemy. So things are not good here for God's people. Verse 5, it was like men in a thicket of trees wielding axes then smashing all the carvings with hatchets and picks. They set your sanctuary on fire. They utterly desecrated the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, let us oppress them relentlessly. They burned down every place throughout the land where God met with us. Now, whatever the situation is here, it is not a good situation for God's people. At one point, At some point, God's people were doing well. Now, if this is, in fact, the Asaph that was with David, well, that was a pretty good time for God's people. But man, by the time David came onto the scene and then Solomon and then the kings that followed after him, things got really bad really fast because there were a lot of bad kings, more bad kings than good kings. And so perhaps there was a time, no doubt there were times in Israel's past where they were really seeking the Lord. They had places where they would go and worship the Lord and the Lord would dwell with them. But now these enemies that seem to be strong and ferocious, they have come in and they have destroyed all of that. So where are God's people going to go? What are they going to do now? They they are in a bad situation. Let's continue to read on, verse 9. There are no signs for us to see. There is no longer a prophet. And none of us knows how long this will last. God, how long will the enemy mock? Will the foe insult your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand? Stretch out your right hand and destroy them. So they are looking for some hope, but. But man it just seems like God is totally absent in their life. Now, now God is 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 always around, but sometimes God allows us to go through things perhaps to strengthen our faith. Perhaps sometimes it is a consequence of some sin that we have committed and God wants to get our attention. But in this particular situation and maybe in situations in our life, we just think, God, are you even there? Do you, do you even care about me? Do you even exi- are you completely absent, God? Have you have you turned your back on me? God, please, I'm calling out to you now. God, I need you. We are in a bad situation. The, the enemy is coming down upon us. That's what Asaph says here. And he says, look, there is no longer a prophet, and none of us knows how long this will last. That's probably the worst part of going through a bad situation is you don't know how long it'll last. Now, ideally, we would, we would all want our bad situations to, to come and go really quickly. All right, come for a day and then leave. But but oftentimes, hard times in our life, they come for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year, for a decade. Sometimes our hard situations kind of linger on. But we cannot give up faith on the Lord. We, we must call out to the Lord and seek the Lord just as Asaph was doing here. Even if we say, God, I don't even, it don't even feel like you're around. I don't feel your presence. God, are you there? How long will this last? But at least Asaph is continuing to call out to God. He is not giving up on God. Perhaps he's, he's wrestling with God in a sense, saying, okay, God, are you there? Are you, are you listening? Do you care? Do you hear me? Are you going to come to my rescue? Are you going to come to our rescue? But it's always better for us to wrestle with God than to give up on God. Maybe we wrestle with why God allows things and how God does things, but if we're wrestling with God, that's a good place to be. And so we need, to, we need to keep wrestling and saying, God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't feel your presence, but God, I know you're there, I know you're good, I know you're with me, so I'm gonna call out to you. And that's what Asaph was doing. He was being honest. If you read Psalm 73, he's just being honest. God, I was ready to give up on you. It didn't seem fair, but then I, I came to my senses and I didn't give up on you. And perhaps there have been times in our life or maybe there will be in the future where we may be tempted because of our situation and circumstances, that we may say, man, if God is good, why is he allowing this? I'm tempted to give up on God. But don't give up on God, because he has been patient and gracious and faithful to not give up on us. And so we must not give up on God, even in the tough times. The desire here of Asaph in verse 11 is, why do you hold back your hand, stretch out your right hand, and destroy them? Okay, so these enemies that are coming against God and God's people seem to be winning. And Asaph says, God, you have the power. Why don't you just destroy them? Well, I don't know the answer to that question. We may say the same thing. We may see evil people or evil nations in our world today, and we may say, God, why don't you destroy them? Well, perhaps God has mercy. God certainly is patient, not wanting any to perish, as the Scripture says, but all to come to repentance. And so while we may be quick to bring vengeance and justice and judgment on people, perhaps the extra time that God gives those who are evil, some will repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, it is a beautiful thing that God is a patient God because he has been patient with us. Even if we like to think to ourselves, we are not as evil as other people in the world. The fact of the matter is our sin is evil and God has been patient with us. Even for those who put their faith in him, he is still patient with us on a daily basis. And so we may ask, God, why don't you act more swiftly? But then maybe we should also say, God, I thank you that you did not act more swiftly in my life. God, you have been patient with me, so let me be patient with others, even if I don't understand why you don't act quicker than you do sometimes. Verse 12, God, my king, is from ancient times performing saving acts on the earth. You divided the sea with your strength. You smashed the heads of the sea monsters in the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You fed them to the creatures in the desert. Okay, so Asaph is here saying, God, the enemies look strong. They're kind of getting their way. They're mocking you. They're attacking your people. God, why don't you do something? God, I know you have the strength. And that's what he calls out here in verse verse 12. He says, God, you are from ancient times. You are eternal. God, you are all powerful. You have always been. You will always be. You divided the sea with your strength. He's recalling when God parted the Red Sea, the, the power of God. God, you have the power to do whatever you want. You've parted a sea, God. And then he goes on to say, you smashed the heads of sea monsters in the water you crush the heads of Leviathan. Now, that's a term, Leviathan, that we see on occasion in Scripture. And uh, it was probably some type of sea creature. When we see phrases like sea monster, I don't, I don't know necessarily that it's some gnarly monster that we've never seen before. But uh, perhaps it was just a big fish. Perhaps it was some giant squid or big whale or something that, that when people saw in those days, it was new to them. Nothing's really new to us nowadays. We, we're familiar with whales and all these sea creatures that, that are giant, that are huge. Uh, and, and we watch them on the Discovery Channel, and we see a creature, we don't know what it is. We look on our phone, and we can quickly learn what this creature is. But in those days, uh, stories uh, would probably go far and wide about these creatures that would be seen. And if you didn't see it with your own eye, you didn't see it. There was no internet to look at it. And so, I suspect the stories of sea monsters are dragons, as some of your translations may say. Uh, perhaps when we hear those terms, dragon and sea monster, we have this, this fairy tale type of idea of what we see for sea monsters and dragons on movies today. But perhaps these were terms that simply were applied to other big sea creatures that existed then and exist now. Perhaps they applied to things like dinosaurs or other things like that. And so, Even though the Bible has terms like dragon or sea creature, uh, I don't think that these are mythical beings. I think that these are simply the terms that they use to describe uh, sea creatures and other animals that we may use other terms to describe. What they called a sea monster, perhaps we simply call a whale. Uh, But the point being is that God is all powerful He is over uh, the sea. He's able to part the sea. Uh, He is able to smash the sea monsters and crush the head of Leviathan. These big creatures that, that were so phenomenal for people of Asaph's day to see were nothing to God. He is over them. He is over everything. And if God is over everything, then certainly he has the power to overcome those enemies. Verse 15 You opened up springs and streams. You dried up ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours. Also the night. You established the moon and the sun. You set all the boundaries of the earth. You made summer and winter again. The author here is continuing to speak of the power of God. He parted seas. He's over these big monsters, these big creatures. He can open up springs and streams. He can uh, dry up flowing rivers. Whatever God wants to do, he has the power to do at the sound of his voice. He could tell a river to dry up and it would dry up. He could cause water to flow when he wanted water to flow. He created the day, he created the night, he made the moon, he made the sun. He spoke and these things came into existence. He made all of the boundaries of the earth, the summer, the winter. God is in control of all of those things, not global warming, not a hole in the ozone layer. It is God who is in control of all of these things. And that's what Asaph is saying here. God, the enemy looks strong, but I know that you are stronger. You are over everything. You are in control of everything and stronger than everything. So God, why don't you act? I know you can do it. There's a certain amount of faith I think we see here in Asaph. God, I recognize, I acknowledge that you are all powerful, that you can do all things. Perhaps we need to remember that truth when we go through our hard times as well. Verse 18. Verse 18. Remember this, the enemy has mocked Yahweh, and the foolish people has insulted your name. Do not give the life of your dove to the beast, and do not forget the lives of your poor people forever. Consider the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of violence. Now, Asaph says here, look, even though these people are, are coming against us, spare us, dear Lord, don't don't turn us over to those people. That's what he's saying here. Don't turn us over to the en- enemy. Remember us. And he says in verse 20, consider the covenant. Now, there, there have been several covenants to this point in Scripture by the time we get to Psalm uh, 74, but perhaps the greatest we've seen up to this point is the Abrahamic covenant that God swore by himself, for there was no one greater to swear by. God was going to... Make Abraham's descendants a mighty people and all nations were going to be blessed through him. Perhaps that's the covenant that's being recalled here. Perhaps one of the other covenants that we've seen to this point. But Asaph says, God, remember, you've made covenants with us and, and, and God, don't forget us. Be here to deliver us in this difficult time. Verse 21, do not let the oppressed turn away in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, God, defend your cause. Remember the insults that fools bring against you all day long. Do not forget the clamor of your adversaries, the tumult of your opponents that goes up constantly. So what a beautiful prayer here at the end. He says, okay, things are really bad, God. It seems like you're not there. It seems like you have forgotten about us. But God, even though it appears that way, I know you are good. I know you are above all things and over all things. And so here at the end, he says, look, do not let the oppressed turn away in shame. Uh, uh, Let the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, God, and defend your cause. What else can we do in times of trouble? I mean, we may not understand why God allows it. It may not feel like God's around. Uh, We may wonder why God is doing things the way he is doing things, But who else are we going to call out to to deliver us in our times of need apart from the Lord? There is no one that we can call out to. So as bad as things may have seemed for Asaph and even for us, when it comes down to it, we can work through these things in our mind and come up with these questions like Asaph had in Psalm 73 and Psalm 74. But at the end of the matter, he came to the place that we need to come. And that is God, you're our only hope. So deliver us from this this time and these enemies that we are up against. And what beautiful words of verse 20 consider the covenant because God saves us because of his grace and mercy, not because of anything that we have done. Jesus gives us a better covenant by his own blood, by his own body that he gave his life on a cross that we should be forgiven of our sins. And so when we are in the midst of our hard times, We don't come before God and say, God, be with me, deliver me, help me, because I am so good, because I am so awesome, because I am so great and so beautiful and so powerful and so smart and so witty and do so many good works. That's not how we pray to God. We don't pray to God in that way. If you do, then you need to read your Bible a little bit more. We don't pray to God in that way. We pray to God and say, God, we come to you because of what Jesus has done, and that's it. God, I'm coming to you now. I feel like I'm overtaken, and maybe we are sometimes overtaken by our sin and we need to repent. Sometimes we just feel like we're overtaken by life and life circumstances, and we come to God and say, God, I need your help, not because I'm anything, but God, because you are everything. I come to you, God, because Jesus Christ died on the cross so that I can have power over the things of this world and be forgiven of my sins and have the strength and comfort to make it through. And God, I come to you now, and I come to you because of my relationship with Jesus Christ and what he did and not because of anything that I have done. And that's where our prayers need to come from. That's where our prayers need to, to, even if they don't start there, even if they start out like that of Asaph, where we're questioning God and angry at God. Hopefully our prayer always comes back, back to, God, even still, you are good. You are in control. You are powerful. And God, I, I praise you and I serve you and I love you because of Jesus Christ. I come to you for forgiveness, not because what I did, but because of what Jesus did. I come for you to you for power, God, because I don't have it on my own. And if there's any power to be had, it is only to be had at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. I pray that you would help us. Maybe maybe there are some here tonight and they are struggling with something in their life. God, maybe it's sin. God, maybe it's just life, dear Lord. Maybe life is just hard. God, maybe there are some in here tonight that that are questioning you right now. Feel, Feel like you're absent, dear Lord. But God, let us be reminded that you are ever-present. You are there with us. And God, sometimes if we don't feel your presence, it may not be that you are not with us. It may be that, that we are not with you, dear Lord. It may be that we're not seeking you. So God, if that's the case, I pray that we would just give you a little time, maybe spend more time in prayer or spend a little more time in your Word, God. Dear Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be those who don't, don't give up on you in the midst of trouble, But God, to remember that you are good. You are almighty. You are all powerful. And that, God, you you promise to be with us and you show that promise of your love to be with us through Jesus Christ. So God, in the midst of our struggles, help us just to be humble enough to come before you, dear Lord, not based on our own merits, but solely based on Jesus Christ, that we put all of our faith and trust and hope in him and what he has done. That, God, any deliverance, any power, any comfort, any strength, any forgiveness that we receive, God, it is only because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that if there's one that has not done that in this room tonight, that they would. God, if there are those in this room that have done that, maybe even still they're going through a difficult time, I pray that they would just continue to seek Jesus all the more today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.